Coming up this hour, we're joined today by guest host Steve Coble, teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. And then a little bit later, we're going to hear from Dr. Michael Youssef. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and as you know, we were talking about it over the last couple of days. My uh, former co-host, Ian Simpkins, is no longer here as he's moving to Nashville uh, to take a pastoral job at a great church down there called The Bridge. We miss Ian a lot already. Uh, but one of the things it's allowing us to do is to have on some new co-hosts and some guest co-hosts. And so Monday and Tuesday, we got to hear from Aubrey Sampson, and I am thrilled uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday, we heard from Aubrey. I'm thrilled that today and tomorrow, uh, we're going to be joined by the teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago, Steve Coble. Steve, welcome back to the show, my friend. What's happening, Brian? Excited to be here um, and glad to be with you all. Absolutely. You've, you've been a guest on the show before. Just over a month ago, you're with us, but now it's, now it's the big leagues, man. Now it's a whole two hours. So, uh, so here we go. And off air, you and I were discussing the fact that, uh, as we age and as there's a lot of snow here, our backs just hurt. So hopefully we're both just sitting here doing this and we're doing that. And so Steve is going to be our, our guest co-host, as I said, today and tomorrow. And Steve, we're going to jump into lots of different topics, but I thought it would be important uh, just on this first segment at the beginning of the show, just to get to know you a little bit. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Tell us about your family. Tell everybody whatever they need to know about you. Yeah, awesome, Brian. Yeah, man, I was I was saying we were talking about what we've been doing. And uh, we I live here in the uh, just on the north side of the city of Chicago, and I've been shoveling snow for about the last 48 hours. Absolutely. And uh, I realized very early on that, like, I have to accept that I'm actually in my mid-30s. <laughs> I was like that guy who is just like, I can go, you know, shovel out. There's there's some older folks on my block, so I'm like, I can just go shovel everybody out and be a good Christian today. And then I realized very early on, it's like, no, you do that. I think you really need to think about stretching. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's official, man. Chiropractor, um, yes. deep tissue. I got to go figure something out. Uh, but I am um, been pastoring in the city of Chicago for about seven years now, originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, just got the news that uh, that we, we've got some potential new quarterback situations. Oh, there. it's done. Yes, it's done. And so we are, uh, we are excited about that. Um, but man, I, I grew up in Indianapolis and, uh, spent most of my early childhood nominally Catholic. So went to Catholic elementary school and stuff like that. And, um, then around 18, close friend of mine shared his faith with me Mm. and, uh, was like, man, do you want to hear more about this? And I was excited about it. Sort of like, in a way like, man, I think I need to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, very quickly got to this Christian conference. It was a uh, part of the impact movement. So the African-American arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I'm standing in line with all these uh, uh, gospel singing Christians. And I'm like, man, this ain't for me. <laughs> this is not for me. And uh, just the Lord began to do a work in my, in my soul uh, there and became a follower of Jesus through that ministry and felt very early on called to 
to vocational ministry. So to prepare, uh, my one of my mentors used to say, a call to the ministry is a call to prepare. And so mm-hmm. I went and did the seminary thing and uh, moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and was part of a, a great multi-ethnic church there and always had a passion for multi-ethnic ministry. And uh, especially, you know, you sort of look at the landscape of our society here in America today, and I can't think of a better time for there to be uh, a church centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing mm-hmm. from different backgrounds together uh, under the name and banner of Jesus, uh, man, showing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so that was like my experience there at um, at the church in Memphis. And uh, so wanted to be a part of that. Um, in the city of Chicago. So grad school brought me up here to go to Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School and spent uh, a couple years up there. Quickly realized that, man, I am not as smart as these other people. (laughs) I don't want to read and write books all the time. Like, not my thing. I like to talk to people. I like to be with people. I like to teach God's word. And so that then uh, stirred me on to uh, pursue some vocational ministry and uh, ended up coming on staff about seven, seven-ish years ago at Park Community Church and functioned as their teaching pastor for a number of years. Uh, and and then recently, my same friend who was down in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, came and planted a church here in the city. And uh, man, o- over the uh, past year, we've just been talking and saying, man, let's do this together. Mm. Uh, we have the same mission and vision. We uh, love to see people from different backgrounds come together uh, for the sake of glorifying Jesus. And so um, that's that's what we're doing. And we're, we're doing it together. So I get to work with a close friend of mine. And I recently got married a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm saying a couple of years ago, a little over a year uh, to my wife, Kristen. She's a nursing student at Rush University. Uh, here in the city, and we got our first little boy uh, coming uh, July 2021. So uh, we're excited <laughs> about that and looking forward to it, man. There's a couple changes in your life, man. I got married a year ago, a little over a year ago. I'm having a baby. I'm planting churches. That is uh, that. That's a lot. And uh, talk to us about becoming a first time dad. How excited are you? What are you nervous about? That's a huge deal, man. I, you know, it is, and. Uh, I'm super excited. And, and yeah. so much is really so much has changed because, you know, I didn't get married until I was in my early 30s. So, uh, you know, I was 32 when I got married, uh, 34 now. So uh, it's just, you know, you think like you you lived like I was in ministry for 10 years before I, you know, even got married. And then uh, to have a baby, the the twists and turns of life. Uh, and <laughs> maybe we'll talk about this later. But my mother uh, had a stroke. Mm. In 2019, and then over the course of like nine, ten months of getting her back, uh, she eventually passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. So, um, yes, it's it's been a journey, man, with the Lord, and um, and just a lot of loss in my family and stuff like that. And mm. now we're on the other side of uh, of all of that, and there's uh, some really cool things happening with yeah. uh, family that I'm establishing now uh, with my wife. So, um. We're excited about all of that. A lot, a lot of silver lining in the midst of a difficult season. Uh, Absolutely, difficult for a lot of, has been difficult for a lot of people. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then where's Renewal Church? Obviously, it's in Chicago. Renewal Church of Chicago. Really small world, by the way. Aubrey Sampson was with us the last two days guest hosting. And the name of her church in West Chicago is called Renewal Church. Man, <laughs> and I, so, I just decided that great minds think alike. Exactly, exactly. But uh, people might hear you today, but I want to know more about his church. So tell us website, but more importantly, where is Renewal Church located? Yeah, uh, if you go to RenewalChicago.com, uh, that is our church website, and uh, we're located just off of Chicago and Augusta, or uh, Chicago, uh, uh, Ashland, and Augusta. And so we're just on the kind of near northwest side, and uh, we spe- specifically chose that area just as a matter of there's multiple ethnicities that are sort of living within proximity of that area. Public transit in that area is good. And so it, it kind of fosters the possibility, you know, Chicago yeah. segregated, uh, you know, people know the history of the redlining and, and, and we want to be people who love, uh, if anybody, if you're familiar with the city of Chicago, you know, 77 neighborhoods and each neighborhood has its own kind of thing. And, and people come to plant churches in the city and they want to be a reflection of the neighborhood. And one of the other elements that, that we have to deal with is the segregation uh, and and racism that created the segregation of those neighborhoods. And yeah. so we're trying to break down some of those barriers that Satan has uh, created over the course of time. And uh, and one of the ways we do that is is by being kind of strategic about where we, we are in the city. And so we're on the near northwest side, hoping to be down closer to the UIC area and Rush uh, Hospital here in the next year. So uh, keep us in your prayers for that. Absolutely. I am amazed by how much you have going on in your life right now, man. But we're thrilled that you're joining us today and tomorrow here on The Common Good. That is Steve Coble, uh, teaching pastor at Renewal Church, expectant father, newlywed, everything, and apparently an Indianapolis Colts fan. So uh, we're glad to be joined. Now, coming up next segment, uh, we're going to be joined for an interview by Dr. Michael Youssef. He uh, is president and and he you can hear him on the station on leading the way at 8 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Uh, we're going to talk about his new book that is out. Now, you might be uh, confused when you don't hear Steve. I did this interview with Michael Youssef, Dr. Michael Youssef, before today. Uh, so it's just going to be me doing that interview. And then Steve is going to come back and join us for the rest of the show. Hopefully that made sense, but we're glad that you're joining us today. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad that you are joining us today. And we are thrilled to be joined again uh, by one of our partners here, one of our friends here at AM 1160, Dr. Michael Youssef. Uh, Dr. Michael Youssef, you can hear him here on AM 1160 at 8 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. You can hear Leading the Way uh, with Michael Youssef. Uh, he is also the founding pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia, And for our purposes today, we're going to talk. He's an author of a new book coming out called Hope for This Present Crisis, The Seven-Step Path to Restoring a World Gone Mad. That is a lot there, Dr. Youssef, but how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. (laughs) I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me. It is great to be with you. 
It is absolutely our pleasure. And we want to talk about your new book coming out here called Hope for This Present Crisis. And I was thinking about how do we get into this? And and I love the description that, that you guys sent us of the book. It begins with this question, and it's just the question I want to ask you. The description begins, is it sure. possible that our world has gone mad? How would you answer that question? Yes. <laughs> Describe that for us. Oh, uh, well, the craziness that has taken place is, and remember this, before I even answer the question, uh, I am an immigrant. I was born in the Middle East. I longed as a boy to come to this country, uh, not so that I can accomplish uh, the American dream and make a fortune, but to breathe the air of freedom. Hmm. I was living under socialist dictatorship of Mr. Nasser in the 50s and the 60s in, in Egypt and literally escaped uh, with, 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 with the clothes on my back uh, wow. because of that socialist dictatorship. And I saw it firsthand and what it can do to a country that was so prosperous. So with that background, i, I tell you why I think the world's gone. When we start judging people I mean, literally, we make it, we legalize it. Now people can judge people with different, for, for superficial reasons, color of their skin, ethnic background, whatever it is. People do that. That's mm-hmm. just uh, fallenness of human nature. But when we institutionalize it, that the only thing I can judge you uh, with is the color of your skin or your ethnicity, then we really have gone mad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the very thing that Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King really riled against. He said, I look forward to the day when my children are going to be judged with the con- by the content of their character, not with the color of their skin. Now, uh, with books like uh, Howard Zinn, uh, Critical Race Theory, where the world is made of two groups of people, the oppressor and the oppressed, and, and the white people, which I'm not, uh, oppress the black people, uh, you know, it's it, it's just you, you, it, the 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 blacks are oppressed and the whites are oppressors and this group and that group and and cancel culture and walk and all those issues that I really deal with very openly, very honestly in the book, and I show the craziness of it all, hmm. the in the the the, the 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 fact that it's so illogical and it's it's impossible to live by. By the way, it cannot last. I pray to God that this will be just a phase that we go over it. And that's why I present seven steps for hope of change, because that has to go away. If uh, we all have different truth, his truth, my truth, their truth, no objective truth, no no absolute truth, so the civilization, culture cannot exist, cannot last. Mm -hmm. We're going to finish each other off. And so it is the longing of my heart that people get to the bottom. Particularly, I want high school students to read this book, mm. college students, to, to get to the bottom of the problem, where it came from, how it got here, what is the Marxist background to all of this. And then, in the end, I present the seven uh, answers or solutions uh, to the problem we're facing. So, no, this is probably my most serious book I've ever written of yeah. all the 45 books. Mm. 
Yeah, and and as you said, you go into a seven-step path that says here to restoring a world gone mad. And I wish we had the time to go through all seven of them, but let me just, uh, it's uh, like a good pastor, they're all ours, which I'm really uh, excited about. It's remember the truth, restore the soul, revitalize the family, reestablish the classroom, respect our freedoms, reform our society, revive the church. Uh, again, I wish we can go through all seven, but but let me just ask sure. you to hone in on a couple. I want, could you just talk about the one revitalize the family? What are you getting at when when you say one of the pathways, one of the answers to this is to revitalize the family? Well, you know, the whole concept of family just got muddled now, mm-hmm. and uh, the the family as God envisioned it, it's almost uh, people apologize for it. Uh, I heard recently of. Uh, uh, one of those liberal churches where the pastor was getting married, and he, one of the pastors, and he got up and apologized to all the homosexuals in the church. Uh, and because I've done this, you don't feel pressure. And I said, well, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, he, he, marriage is God's idea. Uh, family is God's idea. Uh, another Marxist tried to tear it up, but but we must go back to God's idea. Why did he establish husband and wife? Why did he uh, establish the very first wedding? Why all of that? And, and because it's for the betterment of mankind. It's mm-hmm. for, the, for the ideal. And therefore, we need to go back to that unashamed, unembarrassed. In fact, we need to defend it. Now, so many pastors, as you know, and I know some people that we love and respect, and, and, and that's what breaks my heart. I mean, you don't want to see this 72-year-old man crying, but I really <laughs> do cry mm. at times when I, when I saw my friend Max Lakeda apologizing for what he taught about the marriage. Mm. You know, I mean, and it's becoming more common than you realize. Many, many pastors who stood up for biblical truth and the biblical uh, definition of marriage now apologizing. Why do you apologize? We continue to love everybody. I have neighbors who are gay. I go up and hug them and, and tell them Jesus loves them and I love them. I, there's nothing wrong with We need to love people. Of course we love them. But I don't have to apologize for my biblical stance. I don't have to apologize for biblical uh, foundational truth. And, and, and But this is happening one after another now coming out and apologizing mm. for believing in the marriage and in the family. And, and we need to stop that. We yeah. need to stop that. And another one, again, there's seven of these, but the last one is revive the church. And, and I think you yeah. and I are both pastors, uh, so we yes. have great love and hope and belief in the church. Talk about what you mean when you say one of the, one of the pathways here is to revive the church. Well, you know, we have become, I mean, look, let's face it, uh, uh, and I've been in, in the ordained ministry now for 47 years. And I, I, I always say, you know, you, the owner stops with us who are in the pulpit. This is a great responsibility God places on us. And as like a friend of mine, he always used to say, you know, as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. Mm-hmm. As go the pew, goes society. And, and so we're going to start with pastors. I want to reach young pastors, and I want them to read this book. And I want them to realize, do not apologize for biblical truth. Teach it, because you're going to have an audience of one. That's more important than being popular with few people here mm-hmm. on earth. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way to start by revitalizing the church is start preaching the Word of God as the inspired, infallible Word of God, not like a smorgasbord where you pick and you choose, well, I like this, and I don't like this, and if you don't like it, you dump it. Well, if, you know, let's just, 
get rid of the Old Testament because there's some things there unbelievable, but focus on the resurrection. Wait a minute. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, he could have protected Jonah in the whale's uh, belly <laughs> for three days. Mm. He's the one who could have sent the flood. And so we we become so inconsistent in our stand for, for biblical truth, and we're confusing people. Hmm. We're confusing people. And, and you know, I hear people all the time quoting the pastor more than quote the Word of God. I tell my congregation, don't you dare quote me hmm. if it's not from the Word of God. <laughs> no, don't, don't even use it. Absolutely. And so that's very, very important that we go back into the preaching of the Word of God and stop uh, feeling that we need to please people, we need to please the culture, please society, because they'll never be pleased. Never. They always want more yeah. and more and more until they're devastated. You see, the Bible said the enemy, talking about Satan, you know, he, his job is to steal and kill, <laughs> just uh, destroy. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing. And, and, and so I, I am calling upon pastors, turn back to the Lord be renewed, be revived, let God use you in a mighty way. Depend on His power, not on the marketing strategy, and see what He can do. That book that we want you all to go get, it comes out on March the 2nd by Dr. Michael Youssef. It is called Hope for This Present Crisis, The Seven-Step Path to Restoring a World Gone Mad. Let me point you to a website uh, at thepresentcrisis.com. That's thepresentcrisis.com. And Dr. Youssef also is the founder and president of Leading the Way. You can go to ltw.org. That's ltw.org. And there's a very special offer going on there right now. And thanks for any gift that you're willing to give to Leading the Way at ltw.org, you'll receive a free copy of Dr. Youssef's new book that we've been talking about, Hope for This Present Crisis, and you'll also receive the Hope for This Present Crisis Digital Action Guide. So you can learn more at ltw.org or visit thepresentcrisis.com. Uh, and Dr. Michael Youssef, you can hear him every weekday here on AM 1160 at 8 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. That's Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Dr. Youssef, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me, brother. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to be joined today and tomorrow, all show, uh, by Steve Coble. Steve is the teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you're interested to hear more of Steve's story, uh, we're going to get to know him over the course of the next two days, but especially uh, the four o'clock segment today, the first segment of the show, I'd encourage you uh, to go back and get that. And Steve, uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about, you did mention in the first hour that uh, that you were uh, born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. Does that make you a Colts fan? Are you an Indianapolis Colts fan? And if so, uh, Carson Wentz did not go to the Bears today. He went to the Colts. How are you feeling about that? Based on the fact that they didn't give up a whole lot for him. Truth. I'm pretty excited about it. So, you know, uh, Frank Reich is uh, the guy he was with in Philadelphia, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Mm -hmm. And so there is a great uh, amount of uh, expectancy that he's going to be able to get the best out of Carson Wentz. Uh, And the reality was the Colts were pretty doggone good this year. And I don't think Phillip Holmes, like, even was able to throw a ball. (laughs) Rivers. Uh, was able to throw a ball. So, I mean, I think that bodes well for uh, for the future. And I got to say, man, I was a really big Peyton Manning fan. 
And so ever since uh, then, I, I kind of, you know, I have a, have a love hate relationship with the Colts. And I'll, I'll also say that the, uh, you know, I'm here in Chicago. So I try to be, uh, I try to support local mm-hmm. and I, you know, they're in the NFC as well. So I like, I feel like I can do that, but I'm just like, man, y'all got to get a quarterback, man. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's exactly, and you're a better man than me because I grew up out on the East Coast out in New Jersey. So I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, baseball. I'm a big New York Mets fan. Uh, and I have, uh, I, I have tried very hard not only to not become a Bears or a Cubs or a Sox fan, although I've become kind of a Sox fan, but, uh, but also like my son, I will not, you know, he's going to be a Mets and a Giants fan. So <laughs> we're going to make sure of that. So uh, anyway, I, I did want to talk to you about something interesting you told me offline. Uh, and that is that you, and I believe and your wife uh, got vaccinated within the last couple of days. Yeah. And, and, and I have a couple of questions about that. One, uh, what was it like? What was your experience? Uh, and did you get any pushback from people? What is, what is that whole experience been like for you as you and your wife were able to get vaccinated? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't get any I haven't received any direct pushback from anybody on on that uh, particular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really felt convinced uh, based on like some some medical folks that I know who are clergy and um and my wife is a nursing student, so I kind of get get like the the uh, frontline communication on the studies of different mm-hmm. things. And my neighbor actually is a scientist, and so I'm asking questions about a lot of different things, getting getting information to make my myself to see if I feel comfortable with it. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I think that they they should have recognized earlier on in the state of Illinois uh, is the importance of clergy to the communities that they represent. So, right. um, and so sort of part of the motivation for me to get vaccinated was so that I could I- at least model for other people like, Hey, this is safe. I, I, for whatever influence that I have in the community, especially for those who are 65 and older. Um, I, yeah, I just, I just, I, I want people to be able to live live their lives and and be safe. So. Yeah. And how would you go about doing that? So you got vaccinated. I, that's just what I was fascinated by because you were telling me as we you and I were talking, like that you feel this role a, as a pastor uh, to help people see that it's safe or to see that it's okay. Um, and so, uh, is it something you'll talk about? Is it something that you'll just make sure people know that you've gotten vaccinated? What's, what's kind of the next step for you to kind of help almost be an advocate for you and your wife going forward for other people who might be, uh, questioning whether they're going to get vaccinated or not? Yeah, I, I think I'll probably be, uh, prominent on social media just to talk about some of the symptoms that I might feel. Mm-hmm. So I've got a whole nother month until I get my, my other shot. Um, to be uh, finished with that. And so I, my, my wife is pregnant and also felt uh, safe enough to get vaccinated uh, based on the research that uh, she had made available to her. And so uh, kind of the, the big thing that I think I'm going to do is just to be vocal about, hey, if 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 we really do want to get any kind of semblance back of normality, mm-hmm. um, man, it's going to it's going to take people getting vaccinated. And based on the understanding of some of the medical uh, experts that I am familiar with who are also clergy, uh, you know, the, the basis for this vaccine, the technology for it was already there. Uh, it's, it's old technology. And 
Uh, and, and so it wasn't like it, it just appeared overnight, but, uh, there's certain things that we don't have to deal with anymore, uh, because people got vaccinated. Um, so we're not getting polio and, and different things because there was a vaccine that came out. And Mm. so, uh, I just want to encourage people to, uh, do research and as you feel comfortable and if you're able to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? So your your marriage here, I told you we weren't going to interview you, but I don't know many people who have gotten vaccinated. So I'm I'm very curious. Uh, your marriage has been dominated by COVID-19, I'm guessing, because you just got married, you said, uh, a year or a little over a year ago. I'm wondering what's it been like to be a newlyweds in the midst of COVID? And then I'd also love to know what's what's it been like for Renewal Church? What's it been like? All of us pastors have really had to navigate stuff none of us were prepared for. Uh, so, yeah. so what's it been like as a pastor for you guys at Renewal Church in Chicago? It has been a very unique season, and I have to credit my uh, fellow pastor, lead pastor of the church, Derek Puckett. He is a workhorse and a really dynamic guy. And so kind of when I came into the church, I kind of came as support to help uh, make sure that he didn't burn out, really, in my mind, mm-hmm. as as his friend. And there's a number of things that you realize like pastors are thinking through and, and uh, different details that were not a part of their jobs previously <laughs> that are yes. now a, a significant portion. And so we, we have uh, done uh, this sort of move and transition to all online. I know a lot of people are trying to figure out how to do the in-person thing. Right. And, and we're kind of in the process of rolling out the possibility of uh, more in-person opportunities and stuff like that. Um, but we've just had to rethink our, our approach to things. And w- one of the things I think that's unique as pastors of a multi-ethnic church is like, and, and with my wife and the knowledge that I have just from her studying public health is the health disparities in the African-American community. And you see so many people who are African-American getting COVID and passing away from it. Mm. And so one of the things that I wanted to do as a part of being, uh, you know, for whatever, uh, whatever influence that a, a pastor has in his community, um, his, or, his or her community, that I, I wanted to be a person to say, hey, this is safe. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you go back to look at the history of uh, America and uh, African-American people's relationship with uh, the healthcare system, like it's just not been a good one. So, you know, for somebody who's curious about that, go Google the Tuskegee experiments. And what, what you'll see is that there's this whole history of distrust that's been created, uh, through, uh, the medical system, uh, towards African American people. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are black that, that like, I ain't getting vaccinated. Yeah. And a lot of people, for for whatever reason, I'm sure there's a whole host of, of reasons and public health ish, issues uh, alongside those things. But there's this distrust of of the medical world itself, and and there's this proclivity to African American people getting sick and passing away from COVID. Hmm. And so, as pastors, I think one of the things that's still unique about African American pastors is that we still function as gatekeepers to the community. Yeah. So people look to us as leaders. And if uh, if the African-American pastor is being vaccinated, then that means that, all right, 
uh, we're, we're kind of the trailblazers that then say it's safe for us to go do this. You that know, we're, we're Caleb uh, saying the, 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 the land is flowing with milk and honey and with the Lord's help, we can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fascinating, man. I, I never really thought about the pastor as the gatekeeper as kind of the one going before. Uh, but but that is really important. So uh, it's just fascinating to hear your story also about being vaccinated and what's it been like, because a lot of us are just waiting and, and hoping it's coming soon. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Well, coming up next, Steve and I are both pastors. And so I saw something on Twitter from Derwin Gray. It's uh, something he said on Twitter that I thought, oh, this would be a fascinating thing to talk about. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by a guest host, Steve Koble. Uh Steve is uh, a, one of the pastors uh, over at Renewal Church of Chicago. And uh, Steve is kind enough to be here today and tomorrow. Well, Steve, one of the things uh, we've always liked to do on the show is uh, when people we respect and find interesting tweet something is just go, hey, let's talk about what they just said. And, and I want to talk about uh, Derwin Gray, Derwin, uh, Dr. Gray, Dr. Derwin Gray, uh, pastor down in, I believe, North Carolina, one of the Carolinas, North or South Carolina, also a former Indianapolis cult, I believe. So, uh Dr. Gray, uh, Pastor Gray, he said this on Twitter. Uh, and Steve, I'd love for you just to react as a pastor. Like, do you resonate with what he's saying? And how do you wrestle with this? Uh, Derwin Gray said this on Twitter. I do not have to speak to every topic or every crisis. And I shouldn't. I'm not smart enough. I've studied hard to have expertise in certain areas, but certainly not all areas. Needing to speak to every needing to speak to everything or every crisis is hubris and it exaggerates our self importance. That's Derwin Gray, Pastor Derwin Gray. And uh, Steve, I feel like we live in a culture, especially the social media culture we live in. We're not just pastors, but everybody is expected and feels the freedom to speak on everything. Like we've got to know what we think about this topic and that topic and this, you know, this news event and this whatever. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, Derwin Gray saying, you know what, not only do I not have to speak on every topic, I'm not smart enough and I really shouldn't. And I need to kind of stay in my lane. Curious, when you read this tweet or you heard me read it, what, what are your thoughts? What comes to mind as a pastor uh, as you read this from Derwin Gray? Yeah, I, I think a, a couple of things. I think the, the reality is he's right. Um, there are a number of things that I honestly don't feel comfortable speaking as though I am an expert in uh, in things. And I, I love uh, that there's a, a podcast that uh, Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer host uh, that talks about the death of expertise, mm. where everybody just gets to give their opinion on stuff, even though they're not an expert on anything. Yes. Um, and. It's interesting to me that that's a part of uh, popular culture nowadays. And I think that at the same time that that's that that really is the case. Like there are certain things that I don't uh, I don't have a work, a strong working knowledge on. And there are people who spent their lives studying these things. So there's a number of things as it pertains to different uh, political policy. Um, there's a number of things as it pertains to uh expertise and, I don't know, uh, philosophical idea of how to 
run the economy. You know, th- those different things that I, I would just want to say, hey, I need somebody who studied that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, and what happens, do you think, when we feel the need to speak into everything? Like, you know, my voice should be heard on a, B, and everything right through it. What, what becomes the result for us, not just as pastors, as pe- but as people, when we're diving into social media, tweeting about everything, what, what kind of is the result of that? I understand that people who are followers of Jesus, especially as you and I as pastors, and this is kind of like the, the other side of the coin of what I just said, but people uh, who uh, are uh, followers of Jesus oftentimes look to their leaders to say like, hey, what? how should I think about this? How should I process this? And so in that sense, I get it. I understand that there's going to be a number of things that happen uh, in public life that we are going to be looked to to give our opinions on, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully by the grace of God, we have so saturated ourselves with God's word and the gospel that we can speak with wisdom into certain areas, but still have to acknowledge, like, I don't have expertise on this other uh, side of things. Now, yeah. there's a, there's, the reality is there's a, there's a ton of things as it pertains to uh, race and racism in the history of the United States that preachers and pastors haven't spoke up on. Yeah. Well, people are saying like, are y'all going to speak on it now? And I think that there are certain topics that just are important for people to hear, uh, hear from us on, and we need to have an opinion on. Um, and yet at the same time, when we have to function or try to function as experts in so many different areas, mm-hmm. the, the reality is like we're informing people from a very shallow place. So we're not we're not even as people who want to be uh, uh, champions of truth. We're we're now saying things that I don't think are based in integrity because we're not truly informed on them. And uh, and now you get a whole that's where I think a bunch of conspiracy theories probably come from, because Mm. there's people talking about stuff that they're not actually informed on. And I think it, it also adds to this kind of spirit of narcissism yes. where, um, man, I am, and, and this is one of the things with just Western American society in general, like we so value autonomy and individualism. It's what I feel and what, what I think and my ability to express myself. And I, I understand those values and there's good things in those values, but we just, we, we miss some part of, the self-absorbed nature of always thinking that our opinion matters on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So here, let me ask you this then. Uh, How do you decide what to speak into? Is it what you're most passionate about or does it go like you, are you like, this is kind of what to use Derwin Gray's line. This is where my expertise lies. Uh, How do you decide what to speak in on and what not to speak in on? That's a (laughs) wonderful question, Brian, and (laughs) a very difficult one. I think, um, you know, over the course of time, you know, there's different things that have become these like huge pillar things that people want to hear what you think about. And so, like, for instance, in in, you know, I remember a time, at least from my strand of Christianity, evangelical Christianity, like if you talk too much about politics, mm-hmm. you weren't like serious about Jesus. Right. 
and and yet like over the course of time w- within the African American church the African American church has always felt a need to speak uh to power because mm-hmm. they uh, the community itself needed to ensure its uh its own flourishing so in other words you got to speak to the people who are in power to ensure that uh they are making sure that people are loving their neighbor as their self as themselves yeah. so yeah. if 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 you've never had to think about politics it's probably because you've never been affected by any policy that's ever that's ever come. <laughs> so that means you're just like super middle class and privileged uh in in that way yeah and yet at the same time there's this other side of uh christianity now uh that's just seems like we're obsessed uh, with politics. And so uh, I I think that because we live in a democratic republic, right, we have the, um, in, in other words, we're the people who elect our officials mm-hmm. so that represent us. And so I think that there there is a sense in which pastors do need to speak into uh, to um Politics in the sense of how does us practicing this uh, allow us to love our neighbor as ourselves better? Right. And uh, and yet, how do we do it with compassion and empathy towards people who think differently than us? And I I think that the things that the scripture speaks to, I often want to make sure that I'm speaking to those things. So. If this is something that affects somebody's love for neighbor or somebody is being uh, marginalized or they're they're being um, they they are they are uh, being oppressed Mm -hmm. because of something. I want to speak out about that. Um, If if that's not the case, if it doesn't pertain to the scope of the biblical narrative, I, I don't know if I, I feel the need to to have an opinion mm-hmm. on those things. I That's feel good. the need to be like, hey, here's an expert on the topic. <laughs> yes. You know, here's somebody I'm reading about this. Yeah. Here, here's an expert and that person is not me. Right. <laughs> there we go. Steve, that's helpful, man. I'm really glad that we got into that. And uh, e- you might disagree with us. So go to our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram. We'll have up that tweet from Dr. Gray. Uh, you could do that Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, the first hour is in the books. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about this uh, PBS uh, documentary series, I believe it is, about the black church that has been going on this week. Uh, We're going to discuss that next and some other things here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we continue to be joined by our guest co-host, Steve Koble, as we talk about mental health, The Bachelor, and all things church. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by uh, today and tomorrow by our guest host, Steve Koble, teaching pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago. Steve, we're surviving so far. I don't think we've done anything to get pulled off the air yet. So appreciate you coming back for a second hour, man. We're making it, man. We're making it. <laughs> and so there was part of your bio that we didn't get into, by the way. Uh, we always we asked you just kind of a description of yourself. And I can't let it pass without going back to the line that says you're, quote, have a an extreme or special, I forget, interest in shoes. I just need to know more about that. I, I need to know more about that. Man, listen, 
you know, my wife might tell you a different story, but I just, I just want to tell you my side of the story. <laughs> Please do. When I was a, a kid, I grew up uh, Catholic, so you had to wear, you had to wear the Catholic school uniform, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, the only way to have any form of like expression was through your shoes, because they didn't manage that. So that was like a big interest of mine. And and then I guess, man, when whenever I became uh, able to like get a job, I was like, man, I got to work at the finish line. <laughs> and so I worked at the finish line. And then, you know, you go on summer break for school or, or whatever. And then it's just easy because you got that on your resume. You already love shoes. And so you get a job at Dick's Sporting mm-hmm. Goods. In, in the shoe department. Then you get a, a job uh, at the walking company and stride right. And then I work my way up to the Mecca of uh, the shoe mountain. And I work for Nordstrom for a couple of years. <laughs> I didn't know that was the and Mecca. Then, <laughs> yes. Yes. If you didn't know Nordstrom is the Mecca of, uh, of shoe excellence. <laughs> and I, I worked there and I just got exposed to a whole nother level of, uh, of, just expensive shoes mm. is basically what happened. And so now it's not just tennis shoes, it's dress shoes, it's boots. And just over the course of time, I have accumulated uh, a good amount of uh, shoes and tennis shoes. And they're basically like a library uh, on uh, in, in my, my, uh, my bedroom. There's, there's kind of like a built in bookshelves and my shoes are stacked up there. They say that confession is uh, good for the soul and bad for your reputation. And so, you know, I've been reading John Mark Comer and trying to practice some spiritual disciplines and become a minimalist. But I have to confess the shoe uh, thing is the thing that I'm struggling with the most. That's awesome. Um, But I just want you. Did your wife know this before you guys got married? Like, was this something you guys had to talk through? We did. We we chatted about it, but my wife likes shoes too. So <laughs> just not to the level that I like shoes. And so I, you know, I didn't know, but you know, there's a whole like shoe game for the for the young kids with with the apps and showing up for a raffle and stuff like that. And you know when the the Michael Jordan documentary got going uh right before the uh there is like a, a a special they call them the bread fours and then the bread 11 so black and red and man i just i just was like and there's some jordans that i never got when i was a kid i think i i think i should get those <laughs> that is awesome well someday we want to see a picture of this this is good he's he's got a whole shoe uh, i think you called it a shoe library that is wonderful i'm it, it is i'm glad i asked you about that man <laughs> And I learned that Nordstrom is a shoe mecca. I didn't know if you were going to go with Foot Locker there, or I didn't know where you were going to end up there. And you ended up with Nordstrom. So, all right, there you go. Well, okay, let's turn a corner here. Uh, I did want to ask you about, you said you're going to watch it tonight. So uh, you're, we'll talk more about this tomorrow uh, when you're back on the show, guest hosting tomorrow. Uh, but there is this documentary on PBS right now called, I believe, just The Black Church. Uh, that's getting a lot of pub right now. There's a lot of a lot of talk. Uh, uh, I've got both African-American friends, white friends on on uh, on Twitter and Facebook who are talking about it and watching it. Uh, and, and I find a lot of things interesting about this, Steve. And, and um, 
here, let me just ask you this question. Why do you think this documentary or the series of documentaries was even made in the first place? What, what do you think is trying to be accomplished and what do you hope is accomplished uh, as an African-American pastor? What is something that you hope that is accomplished through this PBS documentary? Brian, you just asked an incredible question that I hadn't thought about. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that is so important for the broader public to understand uh, is uh, just the, the influence of the African-American church and the African-American experience and its impact on Christianity in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the influence of Christianity in the civil rights movement, the, uh, the historical background of uh, the authority of the Bible in the black church and uh, some of the nuance of of how black Christians navigated um, their, you know, kind of like slave master oppression with slavery, using the Bible to wield it against them. And, and yet them sort of rising above that to uh, their understanding of the Bible and still holding it it as authoritative. And so in another life, uh, Brian, I was a PhD student uh, studying some things in American Christianity and um, did some study in the black church and had just some really illuminating experiences in the process of working through Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sermons mm. and looking at just the history or his history of experience through uh, going to liberal seminary, but then being raised in this black church that is very uh, sort of uh, evangelical in its presentation of Christ. And, uh, and, and the call to need to respond to the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and just how those things came about and how they meshed together to make what is the experience of the, of the African-American church. And one of the things that's so uh, interesting to me is as you sort of look at the evangelical landscape of uh, the church in America and you look at people's experiences of the Christian faith and their experiences of uh, life in the age of reason. And, and you realize like, man, the African-American church didn't go through the enlightenment like the rest of us did. Mm. And that's a whole nother conversation. There's just so much to, to it, there's a deep uh, well of knowledge and uh, benefit to the church that can be mined from the black church and the African-American experience. So I'm one of those guys who was like, man, I, I've gotten to the place where like, I don't want to be informed of, uh, I I just, there's certain things that I don't want to watch and get discouraged about where we're at in world. Um, and so I, because I've, I've studied a good bit, I'm kind of like, I don't know, but I don't know if I want to watch that. But then I just got so many of my friends and colleagues who, uh, man, they, they have just been so impressed by this documentary that it's kind of got me, uh, wanting to watch it with tiptoe anticipation and bated breath. <laughs> well, we're going to you're going to watch it, at least some of it tonight and we'll talk about it on the show tomorrow. Did you finish your PhD, by the way? You I just keep learning stuff about you here. You said in another life, <laughs> did that get finished or did you uh, have to stop at some point? Yeah, I'm super deferred at this point. Super deferred. So I'll call you almost Dr. Steve. How's that sound? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. I look forward to hearing what you've got to say because you've got a lot of background, as you said, in studies here. Uh, and so Steve said he's going to watch some of it tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And I'd encourage everybody out there, check it out uh, on PBS. Uh, it's called The Black Church, Henry Louis Gates. It's his new series called The Black Church. 
on PBS. Well, coming up next, uh, Steve hinted at it before, but but he personally has gone through some grief and loss uh, not so recently. And so we're going to have a, we're going to have a discussion in the midst of covid uh, about mental health and mental illness within the church, grief and loss. And how do we as pastors or just as Christians kind of navigate that? Uh, how do we do that? We're going to talk about that very important topic next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by Steve Coble. Steve is the teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. Really grateful, Steve, to have you with us today and tomorrow. It's been a lot of fun so far. And earlier when we were introducing you uh, and getting to know you a little bit. Uh, we, we learned some funny stuff about you, like uh, uh, the fact that you have a shoe library, apparently, at your house. And uh, we learned some exciting stuff about you. About to have a, Your wife's about to have a baby this summer. Yeah. Uh, so really cool stuff. But also, you, you touched on something really difficult that uh, that within the last, I don't know, year or two or, or so, you could let us know that that you had to endure the loss of your mom. Uh, and what that kind of has done to your life. And so I appreciate you being willing to talk about it, but I, I do want to kind of dive in, not just to your story, but kind of the ramifications, because there's lots of people out there who are dealing, especially in the time of COVID, with uh, loss, with struggle, with uh, kind of where is God, uh, with mental health issues. And I think it's important as pastors uh, and as Christians that we talk about that. So with all of that as the background, uh, as much as you're comfortable, I, I would really love to hear the story uh, about you and your mom. Yeah, I, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, you know, one of the reasons why I don't feel weird about talking about my mom, even though she's passed away, is that uh, I just love to talk about mm-hmm. her. And uh, because she was such a, an influential part of my life. And, um, she's just, she's just an incredible person. So I I want people to know how important she was to me. And so, um, man, I was just raised in a family that experienced a ton of loss. So my mom's brother passed away from, uh, complications to HIV, uh, before I was born, Mm -hmm. my dad's brother was stabbed to death. And then my father passed away from a disease called sarcoidosis when I was four. Wow. And so just a ton of back-to-back stuff. And then my grandmother kind of moved in with my mom and me. And uh, she, two years after my father passed away, this is before people were allowed to uh, be admitted into the hospital with the flu. She passed away from the flu. Um, This is in like 1993. And so just a ton of loss. And my mom struggled. over the course of time, I think with uh, bouts of uh, depression mm-hmm. and I just, she shielded me from that. And I think she put a lot of focus into just making sure that she, uh, she raised me and raised me in the way that she thought was right. And so it, it you know, for one of the reasons why I would say like, this is really center, uh, a centerpiece sort of like uh, trajectory changing experience for me is because like, Man, the stuff that I know about the rest of my family came from my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that, you know, about uh, uh, life and how it should be lived, like they came from, they all came from my mom. Like she's the source of all of those things. And so there wasn't another person, uh, you know, directly in, in my immediate family that was influencing that, that part of me. And so it always felt like it was me and her against the world. And so I had this just dream of, 
you know, if you read the book of Ruth and you'll realize that the book of Ruth is more about Naomi than it is about mm-hmm. Ruth. And there's a, the ending of the book of Ruth is uh, that the women of, of, uh, of the city call Naomi blessed um, in the latter years of her life after she had lost all of the things that she had lost. And I wanted that for my mom. I wanted it really, really badly for her. Mm. And so, and she had uh, her first stroke or it technically was her second stroke. We just didn't know she had had a previous one, uh, December 6th of 2019. Mm. And, um, and so we, we did sort of the road to recovery with that and got her through, um, physical therapy and she was able to walk and still able in, in her right mind and talk and things like that. Certain things weren't, weren't the same. Mm-hmm. She was just slower though. So it was all there. She was just slower. And then in May of 2019, she had another stroke and it just, uh, she completely paralyzed on the right side. And we just had to navigate, man, the, 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 the healthcare system in and out of skilled nursing facilities yeah. to, you know, she just so badly wanted to be home. And finally, we got her to um, to Shirley Ryan and to do uh, some more physical therapy. And her goal was to get home. And so that's what we we made happen. And, and, and eventually uh, she had had, you know, her her organs were struggling because she was diabetic. She had high blood pressure, all of those different things. Uh, and then eventually she had uh, her gallbladder uh, ended up infecting, getting infected and, and, and caused her heart to stop. Mm. So, man, you you know, yeah, we, we came home one Sunday uh, afternoon right after church. Uh, I had left that that morning. Just, uh, I had left that morning, October 27th. Uh, yeah, left that morning, October 27th. And um, and she was talking to me about the dog, mm. about our dog and just saying, you know, make sure because we're going to take some some family photos with my wife and I and her family. And she, she said, make sure, you know, just don't try to wait on him too much. And this, that, and the other. And I said, mom, the nurse is coming to, to check on you before we get, uh, we, we'll get home, but we'll get home and, uh, here in a couple of hours. And she said, okay. Mm-hmm. And then we came home and she was gone. Oh, yeah. And so, um, it, it has just been this, um, reckoning, uh, if you will, of, every like deep seated emotion and how to, to navigate and the grief comes in waves, you know, every night before I go to bed, I I have this thought about her and, um, and I I'm thinking about, you know, what she would have done in a certain situation or, or, you know, I still replay in my mind scenarios that maybe she wouldn't have passed away if we would have done this, Mm -hmm. that, or the other. Mm -hmm. And, um, and all of those things are really difficult. I hold on to something that Pastor Tim Keller said uh, in his book on prayer that really has has benefited me. But but he said uh, he said if we knew everything that God knew, uh, we would be happy about the way that He answered our prayers. Hmm. Wow, that's good. That's good. And so I, you know, obviously that doesn't that doesn't. Um, cause any anything to go away like it, it, the pain is still there but it, it's still like and god is still working things together eternity is uh is th- this is a, a short time frame that we're here and some part of what is happening through my mom's life has caused something to happen in me and 
I want that to have some impact on other people's lives. Yeah. And so one of the things that it did for me, I, I started, I don't know if you read a whole lot of Henry now and Brian, mm-hmm. uh, but I started to get exposed to some Henry now and I was preaching through Galatians and I, I realized very uh, quickly that I had like a mental understanding of grace, mm-hmm. but I I didn't have like the heart level uh, captured by the father's love and uh, recognizing that like my, my righteousness has nothing to do with my ability to perform anything. Uh, and it's solely on the basis of, of faith in Christ. And um, just, I don't know, man, allowing that to saturate my soul. Yeah. Um, and in the process of all of those things, um, you know, Paul says in Philippians chapter three, he kind of lists off all of his accomplishments and all of the things that make him prestigious in Jewish society. Uh, and then he says, but I count them all as loss. And all I want to do is gain Christ and be found in mm-hmm. him uh, and have this righteousness that is a righteousness by faith in him. And you realize like, man, as followers of Jesus, the deepest longing of our human soul, the deepest longing of, of every human being in uh, in the world is to find this unconditional belonging, unconditional acceptance, uh, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, and we actually, as followers of Jesus, we get to experience that yeah. by faith. And, and so even as I'm sitting here thinking, preparing for to our conversation today, I'm like, man, I hope these folks, I hope that, that Brian likes me and I hope <laughs> that Deborah likes me yeah. and, and all of those different things. Like you realize like the work of the, of sanctification that God is doing in your soul is this work of saying like, all right, do you believe the gospel right now? Mm-hmm. Do you believe the gospel if they don't like you? <laughs> Will it really matter? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the work that God wants to do in our souls is, is kind of what I've experienced in the process of this grief is uh, to run back to experience the father's love on the basis of grace through faith. Yeah. Now in the process of that, one of the things that I thought would be super important was to um, make sure that I'm processing my grief, grief in a healthy way. Yeah. And, um, and it just, I, I just got so much counsel from people around that. And, you know, so many people would tell me different things about different people that passed away in, in their lives. And, the, you know, their story would be, they were never the same after so-and-so passed. Right. And I didn't want that to be my story that somehow I I just got taken out by, by this. And I know that my mom wouldn't want that, you know, and that, that's something that I, that I had to, to, to fight with is that what she would have wanted was, would be for me to live my life. And so, man, I started to go to a therapist just to process some of the different things that, uh, I was feeling some of the different things that I was thinking. And one of the things that I started to realize is that in the process of articulating what you feel and think, it's actually like a part of the spiritual practice of slowing. Yeah. And you're being present to what's actually happening in your heart. And for so many of us, man, rarely is that the, the case. We're trying to figure out the up and to the right diagram of, you know, the business model of the, uh, of American society. And, and sadly that, that stuff shows up all the time in ministry too, in in the name of it, in the name of, uh, 
you know, in the name of the Great Commission. And 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 really it's just in the, it's really just ambition. And so many of us don't want to actually be present to what's going on in our hearts. Yeah. And I began to realize that this isn't just a thing for me and my grief. Like this is something that everybody should should think through how they slow down and process what it is that they actually feel. And so that that has just been uh, an, a great benefit to me in the process of of going through all of this is uh, is realizing that I'm bre- being present to myself yeah. and I'm being present to the father and, and present to the people who are around me. And um, and that's what I'm that's my purpose. Yeah in life. And therapy has helped me realize that. That's great, man. Steve, I'm so thankful for you uh, just sharing your entire story because that's not easy to do. Like we've all got pain, but you've been through some acute pain and, and I'm super grateful because then you really just, I, I am confident that you just blessed people who are going through uh, similar pain, less pain, but still painful situations in the midst of COVID. Uh, and, and you just pastorally really helped pave a way for people to see that it's okay to go get help and it's okay to admit that things are hard. Uh, man, I'm, I'm super thankful for that. Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a right turn. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we saw on TV last week. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by our guest co-host, Steve Koble. I think you just told me off air, one of your favorite shows is The Bachelor. Did I get that correct? No? <laughs> I, I can't say what The Bachelor is in my mind out loud because my wife would be so upset. <laughs> uh, so many of you are familiar with The Bachelor. Uh, it's a very uh, popular, well-known TV show. Uh, but that Steve and I were just discussing the couple episodes him and I have seen separately. It's just so makes us so nervous and cringe. Uh, but something interesting happened recently, and that is that the longtime host of The Bachelor, Chris Harrison, uh, as of Saturday, is, quote, stepping aside from the show for a period of the time. And the reason is uh, that he went on, I think it was extra maybe or something like that. And he defended a, a one of the contestants who came under scrutiny for social media posts from her past that many people saw as racist, at at the very least racially insensitive, at worst, just flat out racist. And so Chris Harrison, who is the fixture on The Bachelor, is stepping away. And you and I were talking over email about, like, you know, cancel culture. Is this cancel culture, which has become a very big umbrella in our culture, in our society, right? Like, oh, it's just cancel culture and therefore you can't say anything. Or is this appropriate? And like sometimes there's consequences and there's things that aren't OK. And so using that as our jumping off point, Steve, talk to me about uh, as you were reading this article about Chris Harrison and The Bachelor, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I, well, first, the thing that came to mind was that, man, uh, he's about to get canceled. Mm. And uh, and I was thinking, like, that's just that the the things that he said were not things that, like, can go uh, can go unpunished in our society at this point. And so certain things that he said, were just like, ah, that's inflammatory. So the idea of was this wrong in 2021 or was this wrong in 2018? It was one of the things that uh, that he brought up. Um and he he also uh, brought up that he's not the woke police <laughs> and uh, certain things in the way that he approached what he was saying as it pertains to this young lady's posts on social media. 
And I, I think that one of the things that many of my white brothers and sisters have to realize is that the kind of, of thinking that Chris Harrison uh, approached this conversation with is the com- kind of thinking that has perpetuated race, uh, racism and oppression over the course of American history. Mm. And so that's part of the reason why it's it's so in- inflammatory is uh, is because it's a part of like, hey, I don't have to think about this stuff, whereas minorities have to think about it all the time. And it reminds them of a time period that uh, where they were enslaved. And so it, it, it's just mm. it's just not helpful to continue a conversation from that perspective. And, and yet at the same time, I'm like, man, there has to be space for redemption. Yeah. There there has to be space for grace. And and if if uh if all of us were to look at the uh the span of each of one of our lives, we would see some stuff that people could say uh, about things that we've said or done and said, "Man, we we cancel you." And yet the beauty of the gospel is that I'm so glad Jesus doesn't cancel me. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad yes. Jesus didn't cancel Peter. Uh, I'm so I'm so glad that uh, Jesus didn't cancel the disciples. I'm I'm so glad, and that's part of the gospel message is this idea of grace. And yet, at the same time, when it comes to stuff that has been um, that that has been used and wielded, or the lack of engagement in conversations to understand uh, over the course of the history of the United States. Like, man, there's some ownership that we have to take to those things as well. Yeah. And 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 even if you were to look at some of the history of the show, The Bachelor itself, uh, man, it, it wasn't until recently that you saw people of color even on the show. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, for a lot of people in the African-American community, I think they just thought to themselves, oh, it's, it's a show for white folks. And, you know, that's not something that I think that a whole lot of people are are thinking through that from a m- minority perspective, they think through and then they hear the stuff that Chris Harrison said and they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a show for white folks. Mm. And so uh, I'm curious what you had uh, to, to think or uh, what, what you thought of uh, with this whole thing. Brian. Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that because uh, when I first heard it again, not a fan of The Bachelor, but I know who Chris Harrison is. And, and I saw a clip of what he said. And you're kind of like, okay, he's just having a conversation with this woman about, uh, you know, social media posts or whatever. But then here's where we have to be careful. It's 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 listening to people uh, who who have the most invested in this. Right. Like even as I listen to you talk and go, this is how it was seen, uh, you know, by me uh, is so important to me as in this case, as as a white guy going, okay, no, now I get why that was hurtful uh or why that caused an issue but but you also bring up that great point about uh cancel culture and what does redemption look like because i think we're doing we're, we're struggling to straddle that line in our culture right now right yeah. like at what point do we just punt somebody uh and at what point do we just forgive but but they never go through any sort of redemption we're seeing that in the church when people kind of fall away and then all of a sudden they're back in the pulpit and so uh, yeah, you know, this was an interesting one for me because when I first saw it, I didn't really grasp why it would have been as painful as once I then heard from people going, no, this is why it's painful going, oh, yeah, he really did mess up there. That really wasn't appropriate. 
Uh, but so often we just jump up and be like, oh, that's you're just getting canceled. That's not a big deal. And and that's certainly yeah. not helpful. Let me ask you this. What, what does redemption look like in a case like this or, you know, where somebody you, you could look at him and go, man, maybe this guy shouldn't lose his whole career over this. But you said that there also needs to be some work and some redemption. What does that even look like, do you think? Yeah, man, it, it's hard to think through from like a secular perspective mm-hmm. because there's not the lens of like, man, how I'm not motivated by loving my neighbor as myself. Like I'm not, I don't have like this gospel motivation yep. to try and grow and, and change. And especially if you're like, obviously he didn't really care about the topic right. initially. And, you know, when your career is on the line, all of a sudden, yeah, you care. <laughs> yes. And, yes. you know what I'm saying? And so I, I'm, I'm just curious to know, like, where he's at on, on the whole conversation. Is it more like I'm about to, I'm about to lose my, you know, my career or is it like they really going to cancel me for real? So I need to get uh, back into the people's good graces or, or like, man, did I really, did I really miss the mark on this? And so I I think that within the church, we have like different things that foundational ideas on who we are and who God is and what he's doing in the world that help foster those spaces of restoration. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't know how, you know, how that works in secular society. Good like, point. you know, is there a, a, a period of penance that he needs to make in order, but does that mean his heart has changed? No. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm actually to, to our conversation in the previous hour. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert on this. Yeah. And that's what makes these conversations so hard. I wish we had more time for this because, yeah, in the church, we want to leave space for grace. We want to leave space. But there's also consequences. Like, just because he's restored doesn't mean he deserves to be back on The Bachelor. Uh, Just because the pastor is restored doesn't mean they deserve to have their pulpit back. Uh, Like, those are those are two different things. It did have it does reek a little bit of like, not I'm sorry, but I got. I, I didn't realize this would make so many people mad. Let me kind of back my way out of this a little bit. Right. And and I think we're running into that all over the place right now of like, okay, like this is uh, – these are things we need to talk about. And so at the very least, Chris Harrison and what he said at least raises the topic, which I think is always helpful. But it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out because he is kind of a fixture – uh, on The Bachelor. So we just scratched the surface there, but we would love to know what you all think at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, we got one more segment to go before uh, closing down for the day. And and I thought it'd be interesting. Uh, Steve and I are both pastors in the area just to talk about what, what makes us hopeful for the Church of Chicago and the Chicago area. What's the work that needs to be done uh, Going to close out, hopefully trying to give us a picture of hope here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today and tomorrow by Steve Coble. Steve is the teaching pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago. And uh, Steve has been gracious enough to join us today. Uh, and then he's going to join us again tomorrow. And uh, hopefully you will join us again from four until six. We're glad that Steve is going to join us. And Steve, we've been talking. You and I are both pastors uh, and you are at Renewal Church of Chicago. If people are interested in hearing more about renewal, they can find go back and listen to the first segment where you talked a lot about uh, renewal. I do want to start with uh, here. You a couple of times 
used a phrase that we've talked a lot about uh, on this show. You said we are a multi-ethnic church. Uh, I think you said that two or three times. Uh, yeah. Some people out there might be going, uh, what does it a mean to be a multi-ethnic church? And aren't all churches multi-ethnic? But what we've learned from talking to pastors is, no, it takes a lot of work and intentionality. So describe what you mean by we want to be a multi-ethnic church and maybe talk to us about what is it taking you guys to try to get there? Brian, that is such a loaded question, man. That's like we could talk about that for like 24 hours. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Right, right. Well, one of the things that I think is uh, is unique about our church and kind of um, the things that we think about as a multi-ethnic church, it's kind of just like it comes out of who we are. Mm-hmm. So I grew up on the northwest side of Indianapolis and my friend Derek grew up in Gary and then also in Indianapolis. And so we, we both played sports. And so we had a lot of relationships with people who were different than us. Um, and we had a lot of relationships with people who were just like mm. us. And so when we became followers of Jesus, we were like, all right, so where do we fit in in this whole church space? Right. Um, do we go to the black church or do we go to the white church? Mm. Like what exactly is our niche? Like wh- where like it, it only seems like there's one or the other. And I, I think that we wanted in in response to how we read and saw scripture and, and talking about Jesus's uh, famous prayer, the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and the picture of what you see in revelation um, with every tribe, nation and tongue represented at the throne um, is a, a picture of, Hey, does, does this mirror what heaven is going to look like in some way? And I think that for um, a, a lot of people, the idea of, of culture is a um, kind of a foreign concept. So I think for a, a lot of my Caucasian brothers and sisters, there is a, uh, a kind of standard culture that is a part of uh, regular everyday life mm-hmm. that many minority people actually ascribe to. And that might sound like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's it's oppressive or, you know, whatever. It just it just is. And I remember I was talking to a, a guy who was like, man, I don't think that white folks have a culture like <laughs> black people. Y'all got music and so much history and Spanish people got food and dancing and we just don't have a culture. And the reality is everybody has a culture. Mm-hmm. It's just that we ascribe to uh, that culture. So when it's different, it it is seen by the majority culture as, oh, that's culture. And so it, it culture yeah. shows up in the way that you do everything. So it's the way that you worship. It's the way that you preach. It's the way uh, it's the way that you host people. It's uh, the values that you have and uh, how those things get uh, expressed and experienced by people in uh, a worship gathering. And so for some people, you might say, like, that sounds like rocket science. Um, and uh, and yet uh, for me and for my uh, my friend, Pastor Derek, it, it's just it's just what is very natural to us. Mm. Um, and and so it, I've kind of always been in a space where I am uh, got one foot in one area and another foot in uh, another world. Like I've been in all white academic settings and I've been in uh, all black um, mm. uh, all black settings, whether it be academic or non-academic or whatever. And so I, I think that there's a part of an in, intuition 
that uh, Pastor Derek and I have and other minority pastors have that kind of says, like, this represents everybody or this is fostering a, a sense of hospitality to uh, to everybody. And so you have to think about it. Like my, my friend, Pastor Derek, he was preaching the other day in uh, in his uh, in his dashiki. And it's Black History Month, huh. and so he's like, "Man, is we're talking about that? We're like, is this too black for <laughs> wow for, for today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, should we tone it down?" And then we're like, "No, let, let's let's express this part of who we are." And um, and so we'll have those conversations just all the time. Sometimes it means singing Chris Tomlin, you know, like Fred Hammond, but it's still Chris Tomlin's lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, and so th- there's a ton of different things that go into the process of continually keeping in mind uh, representing uh, uh, multiple ethnic groups and cultures. So I want to close this. You Like you said, that was unfair to drop that question on you, although you answered it so well, because there's so much there. There is so much there, but we can get into more of it tomorrow. I did want to close this way today. Uh, I want to ask, A, are you hopeful for the church right now? And, and assuming that you are, what gives you hope? We've been through a... Uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic that has just shaken us to our core. Uh, yeah. We just went through and are still feeling the ramifications of just the most divisive political season that we most of us have ever experienced. Uh, and, and you know, we had all the events, especially of the summer, but that continued to reverberate of the killing of George Floyd and uh, and all that came out of that. Like there's been so much that's gone on and the church has done really well. But if we're honest, the church has also dropped the ball in some places. Over the yeah. last year. And so I want to ask you as we start to close, because I think people would be interested to hear uh, what's your level of hope? Are you hopeful specifically for the church and and what gives you hope for the church? Yeah, I am hopeful uh, because Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hopeful based on uh, the the authoritative word of God in that sense. Um, and, uh, and I, I believe God is going to do what he intends to do in the world. I've been discouraged by a number of things, um, in, in, in sort of the, the sphere of, uh, Christianity in America, the past several months. And, uh, and yet I, I've been encouraged in a lot of ways in the sense of like, Hey man, there's a lot of people who are, are listening now about, this experience of black people in America that weren't li- who weren't listening before. Mm. Now we may see the other side of people who are uh, stirred up to kind of uh, feel provoked to push against that. But I think the reality is the, there's a larger amount of people who are like, no, we need to be more self-aware of these things. Mm. And, uh, and I think that in the midst of being in a pandemic, there's a number of people who are longing for community. And I do think that the church is this unique space of of a collection of people that's regularly gathering together that, man, the rest of the world doesn't necessarily have that kind of experience, especially on like a deeper heart level kind of uh, a way. You know, we're, we're not a gymnasium where like people bro out and all we talk about is, is the gym. We, we, we're centered on uh, faith, on community, on loving our neighbors, on growing as people, um, all of those different things. And so I, I am hopeful in the sense that I think that there is something that the church taps into that is the deepest longing of the human experience that uh, we still have a corner on the market in. Yeah. 
So I'm hopeful in in that sense. And I'm also thinking to myself, hey, uh, as a person who loves the multi-ethnic church, like, let's see more multi-ethnic churches planted. And and if that means for for white brothers and sisters in suburban churches who, man, the reality is it's only white folks around here. Like, it it would be really cool to have people who are like, hey, we want to plant multi-ethnic churches where there's the possibility of multi-ethnic churches because we do see the value of having the right wing Republican uh, and uh, Jamal, who's, you know, uh, coming from uh, from the hood together in the same small group Hmm. and and what it means to have those those conversations together in community with one another and the ripple effect that that can have on society. And the reality is the church has the gospel message. We we have the the racial racial tension, the uh, the the issues that people are experiencing politically. Like we have the resolution to all of those issues and all all of the things Amen. that Amen. keep people up at night. Yeah. So in that sense, I'm hopeful. Awesome, man. I knew we'd end in a good spot there with you. That's why I wanted to ask you the question, Steve. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, which makes me super excited that you're going to be back with us again tomorrow. I, I'm assuming. Hopefully, you'll come back. I'm sure we'll talk after the show, but hopefully, you choose more to willing come. as long as my back doesn't give out. <laughs> you go. No more shoveling between now and then. (laughs) Well, we hope that you also will join us tomorrow from four until six. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Steve Coble, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.